It's Tennessee Titans talk. Fellas, we got a lot of answered questions yesterday to start the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Big fella bailed us out, made sure we could go into our game knowing we were a playoff team. Deshaun Watson gave us an excellent effort, but we found a way to get it done yesterday. You're darn right. Now you're looking at the 2020 AFC South champs. First time since 2008. It feels good to wake up a champion. You know, I mean, I'm used to the fantasy, but it's nice to do it, <laughs> do it with our Rubbing boys. <laughs> Landon. Uh, it's really interesting to talk to you because you are technically in a different generation than Big Fella and I. There's only four teams in that division, yet we have it has evaded us for 12 years. Does winning a division matter to you? It absolutely does. Like you said, it's a significant milestone. It matters in real life because we get to host a playoff game instead of having to go on the road. We're getting an easier matchup instead of having to play the white-hot Buffalo Bills. We could potentially avoid the Chiefs in round two if a wildcard team other than the Ravens wins. And it's just a source of pride and a source of energy for the team to finally get the monkey off their back. Really, really impressed with Ryan Tannehill yesterday. He continues to show that he does have that big play ability. Now, we're going to talk for a while about Derrick Henry, who, you know, we all think was the best player in the NFL this year. Tannehill won it for us there at the end. He was the difference. Oh, he sure did. We've had some games where you can look at some very questionable officiating. Ryan Tannehill, you know, we were down late to win the game and there was a ridiculous, what was it, a illegal formation or an offsides penalty or false start. I forget what it was, but tack. It, was, it, it was just so strange. Tannehill kind of took the game into his own hands. And, you know, he did that sprint out left and kind of waltz in the end zones. And he had two touchdowns on the ground yesterday. And that's kind of what we need from him. We need him to be efficient in the air. And when there's an open lane, he needs to be comfortable enough to take it. And he's gutsy enough. I think he'll take it every time. Right. Derrick Henry... Obviously set his professional career high in yards rushing yesterday, Landon. He ends for a second year in a row with the NFL's triple crown. Most touchdowns, most yards rushing, most attempts. Back-to-back years, I think that's been done one other time ever. Making his prime year Hall of Fame candidacy right in front of our eyes. Isn't he is. I believe this is the first time in NFL history that one player has had three straight 200-yard games against the same team. And coming into this game, I was slightly optimistic he could Approach 2000 with how bad the Texans were, given that he'd had 212 then 210 in the past two games, and he just he just blew it out of the water. And I will say this was the first time I have ever seen him mid-game look gassed, look tired yeah. after such a hot first half. But he that's right. what he is. He's durable. He's tough. Even when he's not bursting through the lane, getting 10, 15 yards, he's still big and strong enough to wear. He'll just lope and log forward, and he'll get five yards anyway. Right. Big fella. Yeah. Eighth to ever do that 2,000 yards really significant the guy's building a big time resume as just the absolute cog of everything we do he did look winded weirdly I know it was about 68 degrees there yesterday they had the top open in Houston it threw me off and the reason why I know what it was because I looked it up because I saw Deshaun Watson early in the game wearing a toboggan but I noticed everybody was in short sleeves and you could see the shadows so you knew that uh, they had the top open of stadium I don't think it was the weather was it was it going all this traveling they've done going from Green Bay and over here was it that they didn't get a proper offseason was it I mean there's a million reasons yeah. but uh, he did look yesterday right? we, i think so too yeah he did and you know one of the biggest things for me when a player like derrick henry looks winded is the fact that he fumbled twice now one of them was not really his fault he was spinning around and one of the defenders made a great play on the ball but the other one he kind of just dropped right. that's something that we're not accustomed to with derrick henry he does not drop the ball he doesn't fumble and i think the gassing yeah it's part weather i think it's also this part time of the year and having two 
away games during two holiday weekends. That's kind of tough for anybody to do. The team has limited practices throughout the week because of the holiday. Um, and even if they do, it's not your standard typical practice. You're done early. You're you, you do it in the morning on you know different times. So also, I mean, the guy carried the ball 34 times. That's something too. And right. you know, he he goes up against the yeah. The defense stinks, but on that defense are right. people like Zach Cunningham and JJ Watt. Yeah, Cunningham. Yeah, Zach, they're going to hit you. Uh, problem. He's the guy that punched that yep. ball out. Uh, he was the only guy that could really tackle them uh, out in space. Watt was never back uh, in the secondary area. He's just lost a step. He's a good player, but. Cunningham was really, I thought, the only guy that could get after him, and he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, everybody on that field looked pretty gassed, and it is, you know, game 16. That's understandable. But compared to last year, he never looked gassed. Now, he was nursing like a gimpy hamstring at the, Mm -hmm. you know, last three weeks or so of the season. But it was just interesting to me, and I think it most likely would have to do with just the nature of practice or lack thereof. They probably can't just go into the gym anytime they want. We all have heard about Derrick Henry, what a condition Savanti is and how he spends so much time in Tuscaloosa or back home in Jacksonville or here, just a, like a workout warrior. So I wonder if the circumstances of this year and the limitations have led to that. But not to say that it really affected him a lot, but uh, it was interesting to see. I was worried about him uh, pursuing 2,000 yards because I wanted to be totally fresh and ready uh, for the playoff run. But I think they'll uh, have him ready Sunday noon. ESPN game, really excited. Man, just for another playoff bout. Our old flame. Mm-hmm. And, Baltimore Ravens. And you know, that this thing is always personal with them. Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to Sunday, but also very, you know, up in the air. What's going to happen? What team are we going to see? Baltimore right. seems to have figured things out in the home stretch. You know, Lamar Jackson is, he, he ran for over a thousand yards this year. He's back to Again. doing that. Yeah. So he, I think he lost his way earlier in the season. I think the major question, Landon, is did we see them get back on track the last month or they just didn't play anybody? Because they had a really weak schedule down the stretch, but they look a lot better than they did when we beat them two months ago. I would say they've improved a bit on offense, specifically in the passing game. They're still the best rushing team in the NFL, even with the diluted offensive line. But the defense picked up because, like you said, they played a bunch of nobodies. Like We would have easily gone 5-0 and down that stretch. Maybe we'd have lost that shootout to the Browns. Otherwise, they didn't play anybody, whereas we had to play the Packers, who are maybe the best team outside of the Chiefs. They, they look good, but to me, jumping to the defense and how it struggled yesterday, they've been killed the past two weeks because Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers are two of the best throwers of the football in the NFL. Lamar Jackson, he's pretty good at it, but he's not that just kind of natural where he's off balance, he's pressured, he's flustered. He's still going to make the perfect play and he's just going to kill you. He doesn't do that. He does enough and it's built off how athletic he is and how much he can pressure defenses, but he's not going to sling it all over us on Sunday. That's an excellent point. Our pass rush yesterday, John surprised me a little bit more than I would have thought. Harold Landry gets a sack yesterday. He uh, is our sacks leader for the season with five and a half. That is the weakness of our team. We Our defense is – we have a poor defense. We just hope that during the NFL playoffs we just bend on break and, and have enough. But, honestly, it's all got to be about a pass rush. We saw last Sunday night against Green Bay we could not rush the passer at all, and it was just a nightmare. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is one of the all-time greats. But we did a little bit better job with Deshaun Watson yesterday. Let's talk, big fellow, about Brooks Reed, who gave us <laughs> – a contribution kind of off the street he joined our team i think on the practice squad about a month ago i was impressed to see that uh, it was really strange for us to get four sacks on the day yesterday we got one out of desmond king harold landry jack crawford and brooks reed now i think part of it is because deshaun watson is a very mobile quarterback 
and he's operating without his top receivers. So there's a lot of, you know, trust that's immediately taken off the field. So he's, he's holding on to the ball a little longer, but still to get that guy on the ground four times is it, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and we did that. So yeah, Brooks Reed, long hair, don't care. I thought he was a, a very, very under the radar signing. So it was nice to see him get some pressure. And I'll tell you what, when I was watching him play, he said we signed him a month ago. I think it was even shorter than that. I think he's only been around for two, two and a half weeks. There were a couple plays where I was watching him and he just is not in game shape. <laughs> there was one play where he just stood straight up and they kind of just sat there and played patty cake for a minute. And I was like, this guy better get off the field. And then he comes up and gets a sack. So I don't know if maybe he was, you know, kind of setting up the, the tackle or trying to get a read on what's going on but yeah he will be a nice little addition for our defensive to rotate in and out like you hope roverson will be back i think he played some of his best football at the tail end of last year you know he is an interesting guy too another guy i really like that plays really hard and i don't know if he was out there yesterday i thought i saw him but i don't see him in the stat sheet was Wyatt Ray. He got one of the only sacks on Aaron Rodgers last week. And I think he's another under the radar guy that we're going to depend on for that rotational depth at edge rusher. We're going to need something starting for sure. Brooks Reed signed December 21st to the Titans practice squad. I would like to believe that he will be active on Sunday for the Ravens game. He suffered a hamstring injury in the Jags game four weeks ago as of the time of the Ravens game kicking off. I believe that he was sat out against the Texans once it became clear that we had clinched a playoff spot. If it had been a must-win game, I think we could have seen him play, but they're taking it careful because after him, we have literally nobody. When he's not on the field and it's just Harold Landry and the backups, our defensive game plan is hope and pray the quarterback runs into a defender. Right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see if we can create that. I could see where our defensive backfield, which has obviously really struggled, sort of kind of come together when it needs to, but we're going to have to generate some kind of pass rush. Uh, You mentioned, Landon, that Lamar Jackson, of course, is not on the par of a Deshaun Watson or an Aaron Rodgers as a passer, but he's certainly one of the great runners in our leagues. It'll be interesting to see. All right, guys, how about our kicker? (laughs) How about that? So this guy does not practice with the team we signed about a month ago as well. He's been an emergency guy, so he's not practiced with the team in case there were any COVID issues. Gostowski does, in fact, come down or has to be put on the COVID list uh, late last week, in the middle of last week. Kern was the holder yesterday, holder on that game winner. They had never worked with each other. He had never held for this guy. Really impressive, really clutch, I thought. This guy coming out of nowhere. I think he surprised most Titans fans just by being out there. Yeah, Sam Sloman. He looks like a goofy little guy out there when he's kicking the ball. Um, Not not goofier than uh, the kicker for the Colts, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship. But... (laughs) Well, I'll give you a different way. I love yeah. those goggles. That, oh, yeah. Has. But you know, when, you, when you go 5'9", 230 as a kicker, you, you stand yeah. out. Yeah, like, it, it, it was, you know, a breath of fresh air. I mean, honestly, uh, with our kicking room, I was really only concerned about Kern yesterday. So the fact that he was there, right. um, I mean, he only had to punt once, which is another testament to our team and how we played. But Sam was able to knock him through, uh, you know, even be it by the, albeit by the skin of his teeth on that dink doinking in. <laughs> My breath was stopped. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But yeah, I, I mean, he stepped up to the challenge in a tough situation. Like you said, no real practice with the team. I think we signed him a couple weeks, no, no, a couple weeks, a couple months ago when there was some doubt about Gaskowski, and he's been the practice squad guy, and he did what we needed him to do. Landon, when, when you heard the first joint, <laughs> were you waiting for the, the second doing? Well, in the split second where it hit before I knew what happened, I was sure that he had missed and we would somehow blow it after 
Tannehill had that amazing bomb to AJ Brown. But when I saw it go bounce inside, I guess I just knew it went in just from the angle. If it bounced off the inside of the post and went to the inside, I just don't see any way how it could physically not keep going forward and go in. I can see the the right goal post fade from view for a split second when the ball passed her, and I knew we had one. And even Sloman himself had no idea what had happened. He just stood there, and then when the refs gave the good signal, he just started jumping up and down. Landon, yesterday, Corey Davis had a tough day. He's endeared himself, I know, to that team and fans. Uh, I know he was a high pick, and we had really high aspirations for him, but we just know what kind of character the guy he has, and he's built us out a lot over the years, uh, really timely catches. He finishes short of a thousand yard uh, after some some tough drops yesterday really tough situation for him aj brown becomes uh, in a really short list of folks to have uh, back-to-back thousand yard seasons in their first two seasons in the nfl this year was a career year at every level including his best drop percentage the least amount of drops he had he's making crazy acrobatic catches I can't, I can't think of one dumb drop like he had yesterday that he's been plagued with over his first few years. I don't know if it's just because of the stakes of the division, of it being the end of the season, of him approaching a career milestone, a career high, or what. But like you said, he had two major drops where he just was trying to run with the ball before he got it, and that's not what Corey Davis does. He always makes the catch. And then he rumbles for a few extra yards. I don't know what got into him. And with A.J. Brown to get 1,000 yards, missing a few games, is impressive, especially with how great of a running game we are. Like Tannehill, we weren't top 10 in passing yards this year. Yet A.J. Brown still had a, a probable caliber season. He's become a lot more consistent while still he's starting to ramp up the big plays recently. Literally, my only problem with A.J. Brown is that every single first drive of the game, he gets hurt on his lower leg. He limps off the field. Then he comes back in and he's good to go. <laughs> Like it's just a ritual for him. It's always frustrating because for a split second, you're scared out of your mind, and then he walks off the field and he's back in and he gets yeah. 100 yards and a touchdown after that. It sounds like Roger Saffold. <laughs> right, exactly. So he had to have a big day to get to 1,000, but he certainly did. Just really excited about that guy and his future because that, you can see where he could – he could certainly get better. But you see the kind of passing of the torch yesterday when Davis had those drops. Um, when Tannehill really needed, after those two drops, when he really needed a catch, he he really went to A.J. Brown. Whereas before, I think he, he went for him over the top for a big play. I think he went for him, you know, uh, to get that first down, kind of down the stretch of that game. Really impressive to see. Big fella, Black Monday's here. Always interesting for an NFL fan. Uh, no real surprises so far. We've talked on the last podcast how I'm certain that Arthur Smith is going to get one of these head coaching jobs after the performance and uh, body of work he's put on the last two seasons, really. Are you more convinced he's going to get a job? And, of course, we're going to see him on the carousel these next couple of weeks and because they're because of the rules appropriately. We used to see guys get hired almost immediately, but because of the uh, team's near obligation to uh, interview minority candidates, you'll see this be a longer process for most teams. He'll be making the rounds uh, on multiple teams. He'll be interviewing. Landon's going to tell us a little bit about how that's a little bit different this year b- because of COVID and, and other and other rules. But, John, just tell us your thoughts on Arthur Smith. Well, I think, you know, I think he's going to be a great candidate for teams to interview I personally would love him to stay as offensive coordinator. We've kind of talked about, you know, this is a guy who doesn't need the money <laughs> and he's coaching for pure love of the game. And I think those are the guys that you tend to see stay in specific roles that work. 
Right. You know, he's he is one of the best offensive coordinators out there. And maybe he does. I mean, I'm sure that he's interviewing and he's interviewing. So I'm sure he wants to be a head coach. But he's the guy I personally can see as being content with being a one of the great coordinators in the in our game. All that being said, I think he will get one of these head coaching jobs. He's already scheduled to interview for the Lions job, which I don't know if he I, I don't know if that kind of a situation would fit him yeah they've got a reliable quarterback in Stafford but for how long and then their other offensive offensive pieces around that are a little shaky I mean they've got DeAndre DeAndre Swift who's great or has the potential to be great well I think yeah I mean they're a bunch of I think they're gonna hire Robert Sala um but yeah, he he'll definitely interview there. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. Landon, how's it gonna be different this year? We'll be they'll be interviewing at least the first uh, round of interviews will be uh, remote. So what, what's the changes this year on? Because no, every year the guys are in the playoffs, the assistant coaches they're interviewing. Is, is there any difference this well, year? Well, they've loosened the timeline to when teams can start approaching guys for head coaching vacancies. I believe they started allowing them a week ago, so two weeks left in the regular season as opposed to after regular season is over. And with COVID, like you said, since they're hosting these interviews virtually right now, that means guys can go ahead and take interviews right now if they want. Arthur Smith can. Arthur Smith can talk to the forwards about the Detroit job right now and I'd say, okay, the only rule that has stayed the same compared to years past is teams are still allowed to block interviews if it's a lateral position. So if the Jets wanted to get Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator, we could block it because he's already our offensive coordinator. But I'm of the mind that he's pretty likely to get a head coaching job in the offseason with how much he's shown over the past two years. I'm just hoping we can capitalize on it before he's gone. Yeah, I just think the value that NFL teams put now on the development of offensive players, especially quarterback, um, the only guy who has more to stand on after the work they've done with Tannehill and just how well the offense. Uh, you just look at the play calling yesterday for the Texans compared to us. It seems subtle, but it's not. I mean, we just always had an answer, and uh, they always had Deshaun Watson, except for uh, Brian Dable up in Buffalo, who has, to this point, made um, Josh Allen, who was a really raw guy, look really, really good. I would say um, he's kind of the top catch uh, for NFL teams this year. And then I think number two, I really do think it's Arthur Smith, and I have no hope that, that he'll return back next year unless he just doesn't want one of these jobs that he's going to be uh, right up front for. Um, any surprises for you, um, John, as far as um, anybody let go today? Anybody? I'm not surprised. Mention? I kind of called the, the Adam Gase thing a while ago, and – I think the writing was on the wall with Anthony Lynn at the Chargers, um, which I think that is a, actually a great spot for Arthur Smith to slide in. Yeah, except the fact that it's the Chargers because they have they've just made a mess of everything. You're right on paper that one. Yikes! Yeah, perfect. No, no, you're good. Go ahead, um, you know everything else we kind of knew about. We knew about Atlanta. We knew about Detroit. Um, we knew about Houston, Jacksonville. That's just a revolving door. So uh, that that'll continue to be a revolving door, and I think it, it. I don't think it gets better with the number one overall pick. To to be completely honest with you, yeah, they may select Trevor Lawrence, but I'm not a believer in anything Jacksonville can or will try to do. So yeah, I think Jack got a lot of potential, but we'll mm. see what they do. I mean, they do just because they have some pieces on that team. They're going to get Lawrence, uh, but that to me makes that the most important coaching hire of any guy could go one of two ways. Lana, what stands out to you from Black Monday? I'm surprised that Zach Taylor of the Bengals still has a head coaching job. They have the worst record over the past two years. They've been atrocious on both sides of the ball. I haven't seen much player development, and I don't have a read on how much the locker room trusts in him and will follow him, but he's just so uninspiring. The team's uninspiring. The only good thing that really happened to them was 
Joe Burrow hit a bunch of offensive problems till his leg got destroyed because they don't have an offensive line. I just think he's gone by the end of next season at his absolute best. What are you gaining by keeping him? He's not a stabilizing coach like Ron Rivera where he takes you out of the dumpster fire. He's not going to develop your young guys. What are you accomplishing by keeping him other than saving some money and keeping continuity? Well, but Lynn, look at this too. I mean, you, you're looking at... So just to comment on that, they spanked our butts. So there's a playoff team that they beat. They beat the Steelers, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, they've got something to hang their hat on in Cincinnati. And yeah, their their record isn't great. But they had some pretty big key wins. They, you know, yeah, and they played. They hard beat Houston. Um, they beat them by a bigger point differential than we did. So I, I think there's a little more in Cincinnati than you're giving credit. Yeah, I think it would have been a lot different if Burrow had been there. But I think Taylor is actually doing a good job. I tend to side with playing in there, but I totally get what you're saying. I think it's better, especially for the Bengals, mm-hmm. to be patient than not because they're they're pretty decimated. That's not his fault. They need to show some improvement in every facet and every position, especially along the offensive line, not just in personnel, but in scheme. And if they don't, then then they have made a, a big mistake. That's a big risk to take. But blowing it up when you're Cincinnati uh, usually uh, doesn't doesn't solve your problem. So I don't I don't know. I just literally have my fingers crossed that that, that our guy Burrow gets some help just so he can have the, the NFL career he's supposed to. Guys, we, we went eleven and five. We broke the nine and seven jinx. We went eleven five in a really tough year. Really impressed with this team because we had some serious hang ups issues and you know we had problems with our defense we uh, didn't replace our defensive coordinator i think we really missed dean Pease. uh we had some injury issues like like all teams but we knew we were going to depend on four or five really top-notch players and they all came through and so uh, we know about Tannehill, and of course derrick henry and aj brown and uh, jeffrey simmons uh, took that next step and he's a really excellent player uh, but what about for you guys who's that player that isn't heralded that uh, may not make a pro bowl uh, this year or any year that really was just as important almost as any of those guys uh, that really uh, had the contributions uh, but doesn't is is more is less heralded uh, than those names Uh, yeah I think mine's kind of easy you know you see a running back go for over 2,000 yards and you know 17 touchdowns you assume it's the best offensive line in football we have experienced a ton of injuries across that offensive line and it's a credit to John Robinson for continuously having our players ready to step up you know left tackle specifically we lose Taylor Luan Ty Sambrilo comes in he plays really well lose him and David Questenberry comes in, you know, a cancer survivor, a kind of Cinderella story type right. of NFL career. And he, I, I think it, it is completely lost on people that this guy is our third left tackle. Right. And for him to come in and play, you know, I'm not going to sit yeah. here and say he's an all pro. Uh, I'm not going to say he's a, a pro bowl at all. <laughs> uh, he's he's performing average to above average on most plays. And th- right. I don't think many teams in the entire league can say that for their third string left tackle. No, I don't think any of them do. The gulf between marginal NFL roster uh, player, which is what he was up until, you know, six weeks ago, to that, to average NFL starter, he's graded out right at average by pro football focus. You'll oh, take yeah. average on your third guy any day of the week. And if he was an average, if he had played like I think everybody thought he was, or uh, he wasn't our swing tackle. Like he was just our last tackle on our roster. He spent a lot of time over the years on our practice squad, the Denver Broncos practice squad. Um, If he played like the expectation, I don't, think there's any way we win 11 games. So I agree with you that Kesenberry, um is that guy that saved our season. We've had times in the past where our left tackle gets hurt, everything falls apart. Thanks to um, Cimbrello and then Kesenberry, we got to salvage this. And so 
I think he'll be a forgotten person for us, but he was absolutely important. It was a great call. For me, um, the most unheralded player for us was Ben Jones. Been around for a while. We extended him last year. Some people thought, well, you know what? Uh, This guy was the fourth rated center in the NFL this year by Pro Football Focus. He's just absolutely terrific, a good balanced guy. He, Yeah, he's good against the run. We all know that he's really good against the pass as well. Really tough. Uh, put it all together. I think his leadership is important. Uh, he didn't need the gym. He's, uh, it's been such a weird year, but you saw this guy in the offseason, uh, videos of him at his house, you know, getting ready, like in the basement of his house, throwing tires around, doing all this. That's what it takes, that kind of discipline and maturity. Ben Jones, more than just on the field, and he was ter- literally terrific on the field this year what if we didn't have him and you could say that for all of the interior of our offensive line we paid Roger Saffold really well and he is one of the great run blockers in the NFL he was that for us he was more consistent this year than last and Nate Davis really made a big time jump uh, this year people need to understand that so the whole interior of our offensive line kept us together because you know left tackle is the I think the toughest place to lose somebody if it wasn't for Saffold there at left guard that uh, I think he really did help Kisenberry. I mean, just really important. But ultimately, Ben Jones is uh, the the Titans' most underrated player for me this year. I would have to give it to Amani Hooker. We've had so many injuries at defensive back this year, and so many guys have just regressed overall. But he's actually stepped up from what he was as a rookie. He's filled in for Vaccaro when Vaccaro has missed, I believe, four games. Byard has regressed. Hooker has done everything. He's played deep coverage. He's played strong safety. He's played in the box slot he's made timely interceptions and generally he's one of the guys on our defense that isn't making a stupid mistake or giving up a big play and for a defense that's so bad outside of jeffrey simmons and then malcolm butler hooker's probably been our best player over the course of the season just because he's been consistent enough not to sabotage it yeah what they ask him to do is a lot of different things at different times and john i wonder if it's tougher to play 470 snaps like he did on defense this year than to play 800 because i would think especially defensive back is a rhythm game so what they've he's just had to jump in there and like Atlanta said he's been really productive you know throughout this year and what they've asked him to do, a top third uh, safety on paper. And just like you said, just like Landon made a great argument. Yeah, I mean, the guy's got four picks. And like you said, he doesn't play, you know, all the snaps. He plays about half. And he's filled in really admirably. And the thing I love about Imani Hooker is, you know, we've talked about it a billion times on this podcast about how Big Ten Iowa guys just, they hit. And Imani Hooker is like a heat-seeking missile. He will lower the boom on anybody, and we've seen him do that. And he's not afraid to do that either. He shows up for big tackles, and he's right there. And, I mean, he's got 30 solo tackles on the year. And, again, for a guy not playing every snap, 30 solo tackles and four picks, that is about as good as you can ask for for a backup player. Yeah. Second. Player. Uh, he's going to get better, and I uh, also think he's going to have a larger role on this team moving forward. He's proven himself. Because of our personnel, because of our scouting and drafting, uh, we have picked some guys really good role players so we could go on and on if we wanted to there's a lot of guys uh, like for instance Daquan Jones they really just assumed he would he would be the player and then somebody was last year he has been really good and he has generally stayed healthy and Malcolm Butler I think can look bad at times because he hasn't taken so many chances the role that he's had to play this year he's graded out pretty well he's been pretty good in coverage and uh, you know we've we've asked more of him than anybody agree uh, on that defense this year really proud Team, really happy to be a fan of an 11-5 team, and uh, I don't have to tell anybody to listen to this podcast. It won't surprise me anything that happens Sunday 
Whenever we play anybody, especially this year, we could lose and I wouldn't be surprised and we could win. I wouldn't be surprised. So let's just buckle up and hope for another run. Uh, I would love uh, for us to uh, to win this game Sunday against a you know, big rival for us. It's going to be an excellent game. I know we're going to be back with you and we'll talk about it more. It deserves more time. But we did want to get with you and kind of give a quick review of the Texans game, talk about Black Monday, and then, of course, uh, just talk about it's interesting because we hopefully have more games to play, but this is a wrap on this season. It's, it's neat to look back even now and kind of see, like, you know, who stepped up for us. Uh, well, that's it for this episode. Like I said, we'll be back with you in a few days. Really pumped. It's playoff season, guys. So tighten until up. later on, tighten up. Tighten up.